It's the Christmas season. The Christmas season. I was asking people over the last few days, what is your favorite part of Christmas? All of my kids, to a one that can talk with words, <laughs> said it was spending time with family, getting to see family. Um, and uh, that's what they enjoy. Uh, Katie said, uh, obviously family, you know, is a given, uh, but wanting to actually sit down with our family and, and, and watch a Christmas movie, you know, a Christmas classic, like one we've got in the closet, like, a, you know, a white Christmas or um, uh, It's a Wonderful Life uh, or Charlie Brown Christmas. I'm just trying to remember the Christmas movies that we have. Um, uh, or one that we tape, or one that we've, uh, you can stream, but seeing a Christmas movie kind of puts you in that zone. Does anybody here, what's your favorite part of Christmas? It's not rhetorical. Worship, Christmas worship. Anybody else? Maybe you don't like, maybe you're the Grinch. Maybe you don't like. Right. The feeling you get giving something. That's great. Anybody else, favorite part of Christmas? Family, it's good, good. Nobody else? Remembrance, these are all fantastic. None of the kids are wanting to raise their hands and say presents, but I know some of them are thinking it. Some of you adults are thinking it too, don't deny. Um, My own personal favorite part of Christmas in thinking about this, it's not really any one individual thing, it's more of a feeling that I get with all the things combined that is stirred up as a result of being with family and being watching Christmas movies and eating Christmas snacks or uh, uh, seeing the decorations, having the smells uh, that are associated with Christmas, seeing the Christmas lights, going and watching the Christmas lights, or coming to our Christmas Eve service. Honestly, you, you hear me pitch it a lot. That's one of my favorite parts of Christmas is our Christmas Eve service. Uh, but all of that combined gives me personally this this feeling of Christmas, and I enjoy that. I love that feeling, listening to Christmas music, uh, good Christmas music, not bad Christmas music, because there is a difference, Um, but listening to that Christmas music as well. It is fun. Well, today we're going to look in Luke chapter 1, take a look at one of God's favored parts of the Christmas story, God's favored part of the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1. It's on eight on page 855, if you're going to use a Bible on the rack there, it'll also be on the screens, or you can just pop up your smartphone on our website to dequeen.church, and it'll be the main card. You just click on that, all the notes will be there for you. Um, you can get, you can also um, see the announcement there on our website and, and give there. At Luke chapter 1, you see, God had been planning the Christmas story since the creation of the world. He spoke about this very thing all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when there were only two human beings on the planet. God spoke about bringing someone who would usher in salvation. And this is the culmination of that that would then be realized and fulfilled through God's church as they communicate about Jesus. But it begins here in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God 
to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. You know what? Let's go ahead and read the whole passage, and then we'll come back. So jump down to verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So it starts, Gabriel sent from God to a city of Galilee. Galilee is a region to a city named Nazareth, sent to a virgin who is betrothed, who is engaged, who is going to be married to a man named Joseph, who is from the house of David, the descendant of David. And her name was Mary. Mary. I want you to look at something interesting, something that at least in, in all the sermons I've heard about this passage, all the, you know, dozen or so times that I've preached this passage, something we, we tend to pop right over. But look at Gabriel. He's an angel, been created by God. Angel means messenger. He was sent. He was sent with a message to Galilee, the region, to Nazareth, the city, to Mary, the individual person. He was sent to a specific region, to a specific town, to a specific person to deliver a very specific message. He's been given an assignment from God. He comes, like it says, he was sent from God. He was given this assignment from God himself. And then it was Gabriel's opportunity then to distribute and fulfill that assignment that he was given from God. He goes and he delivers his message in great specificity because that's what God had for him. And what we see, not only here, but throughout Scripture, is that God is a God of specifics. God is a God of specifics. He has specific plans and specific purposes. There are some people who say God is a God of generalities, that as long as you're in the general vicinity of biblical principles, then you're good with God. But that may communicate well and be received well, by some, but that's not what we see in Scripture itself. I mean, you can look back at Abraham. God comes specifically to Abraham and tells him specifically to go to a specific region. And he goes, and God has a plan for him there. 
God comes to Isaac and implants in Isaac a specific purpose for his life. And then his son, Jacob, Jacob is given great specificity with, with what he is supposed to do, that, that, that the, the savior of the world is going to come through Jacob's children. And Jacob has 12 children, uh, or 12 sons. Uh, and of these sons, uh, a bunch of them get mad at one of them, Joseph, who God had a specific plan for. And those brothers who got mad at Joseph take him and sell him. I'm sure some of you as children wanted to sell your siblings, right? Uh, don't say amen to that. They may be here. And so Joseph takes, or the brothers take Joseph and sell him into slavery. He's taken, he's falsely accused, he's thrown in prison, he's forgotten. Then he's raised to the second highest position in all of Egypt, the most powerful nation of the day. And as a result, God gives him clarity to interpret a vision, and he saves thousands of lives. God had specific plan for Joseph. Even though he couldn't see it at the time, a specific plan. We see it again throughout Scripture. A specific plan for a man named David, who was just a teenager, doing a daily chore that his parents told him to do, take care of the sheep, and, and God comes along and anoints David to be the king. And then he gets sent right back out to go do the daily chore again. But when an opportunity arises and he kills Goliath, his life changes because he was specifically assigned by God to do something. Being assigned by God specifically to accomplish something fantastic. All the way down here to Joseph, a descendant of David, to Mary being given the specific message to accomplish a specific purpose for Mary and Joseph to raise the Son of God. This is a specific plan. God is a, is a God of specifics. God cares about specifics. And, and, and on that line, God has a specific plan for your life. He has a great plan for your life. God's plan for you is both specific and great. If we would follow God's plan, we would realize something we may never have seen before. God's plan, God's will is phenomenal. It is incredible. It, it, I guarantee you, unless you are you know, a clairvoyant prophet who can see everything that will ever be, uh, uh, God's plan for your life is vastly different than what you think your plan for your life should be. Every single time. Every single time. You, you may think your life is going to turn out like X, Y, and Z, and it's going to look like this, and, and it's going to be like this, and you're going to have this, and you're going to have this much money in the bank, and you're going to have this kind of job, and your kids are going to grow up, and they're going to do this, and they're going to take care of you in your old age, and it's going to be fantastic, and everything's going to be amazing. But God's plan for your life may not look like what you think your plan for your life is. But I guarantee you, if you follow God, his plan for your life will far exceed anything you plan for yourself. God has a plan for your life that is both specific and great. I mean, look at Mary, right? God comes to Mary, this teenage girl. She's, she's betrothed. She's planning to marry this guy. And, and God's going to give her a message that we just read. You are going to, to give birth to the Son of God. You're going to give birth to the Son of God. Now, this is a lot of pressure, right? The salvation of all humanity depends on you. Now, if you have kids or have ever had kids, you know, if they skin their knee or, or something happens, you freak out. Imagine if your kid was the son of God and they skin their knee. Oh, no! <sighs> I almost blew it. 
<laughs> oh no. Oh no, he broke out. I gave him the wrong food and he broke out in a rash. I gave rash to the Son of God. This is terrible. And, and, and this, all this gets laid on Mary here in this moment. And so this specific plan had a specific purpose and it was going to be great even if in the moment it would be a struggle because this specific plan for Mary will have great difficulty in it as well. Will have great grief in it as well as she watches her firstborn son nailed to a cross, tortured and die. But here she is on the front end of it. On the front end. I mean, that's years, three decades down the road, Jesus will die and then raise from the dead. Here on the front end, all she's being told is a specific thing about this plan. Verse 28. So Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Mary was favored. Greetings, O favored one. He says it again in a minute. You have found favor with God. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Why, why do you think Mary was favored here? Mary was, was favored. There's been a lot of discussion about this among a lot of different kinds of people, especially around Christmas time. Mary was favored. What, was Mary superhuman? What, did, you know, did she live a better life than everybody else? Was she more righteous than everybody else? Well, no. Because we know from Scripture itself that that's not the case at all. In Romans 3.23, Paul writes, all have sinned, all, even Mary. All have sinned, even Mary, the mother of Jesus. All, that's all. That means literally from the Greek, all, everybody have sinned here. So was Mary better than the girl who lived down the street? No, they were both sinners. But God still or sent Gabriel, and Gabriel said, you are favored. Why was she favored? Well, a reason for her favor with God may rest in the fact that she was willing. We saw that in verse 38. She was willing to follow God. She was willing to do what God wanted her to do. But even before she was willing, the favor was there. The favor wasn't dependent upon her willingness. The favor was given to her before the willingness uh, came from her. She was Favored. She made herself available, but God sent the, 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 the favor ahead of time. Ahead of time. But you know what that word favor means here? This, this blew my mind. This word favor that's here, what this means is, it means to be a recipient of God's grace. It doesn't mean that Mary's favored over somebody else. It doesn't mean that Mary is God's favorite. It means that she's a recipient of God's grace. She's been given God's grace. She's been given God's grace. God extended grace to Mary and then brought Jesus into her life. God extended grace and brought Jesus to her. And in the same way, God brings Jesus to us. God brings Jesus to us through his grace. He introduces us to Jesus. He has extended grace to you. And, and so just like that, you are like Mary. You are favored. You are favored. You have received God's grace. You have received the opportunity to know Jesus. And there may be voices in the back of your head that will whisper other things about you. But it's not what those voices say about you that matters. It's what Jesus says about you that matters. 
It's what Jesus says about you that matters. It's not the stuff that reminds you of, that, that continually reminds you of that mistake you made in the past that keeps popping up in the back of your mind. Jesus is what matters. And according to Jesus, having introduced you to his grace, you are favored. You are a recipient of his grace. He's given it irregardless of what you've done, irregardless of what that person says about you over and over and over again, you have been given God's grace by God, not that person, not that past situation. God gave it. God did. You can't undo it. They can't undo it. It's been given freely. You have God's grace. You're favored. And don't let anybody tell you anything different. Verse 30, and the angel continued, he said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So Gabriel gives, gives Mary this message. He says, you're going to get pregnant and you're going to have a child. It will be the son of God. His, you're going to call his name Jesus. You don't have to look it up in a, in a baby book. This is, that's going to be his name, Jesus. That's just it. You, it's, go with it, run with it. It's going to be Jesus. Now, what's interesting to me is Gabriel doesn't give Mary a time frame specifically. He doesn't say, hey, all of a sudden, you're pregnant now. This is the moment. Boom. It's over. You're done. You're pregnant. He doesn't say, it's going to happen. You're going to get married in a few months. It'll happen after that. He doesn't say that. It's implied that he's talking right now, this very second. And that's kind of the way Mary takes it in a minute. But he doesn't explicitly say it. But he talks about Jesus. And he says four specific facts about Jesus. First, he says that Jesus is going to be great. It's not necessarily that people will consider him to be great as he talks about John the Baptist, he says he will be great. It will issue from his very nature. Jesus will be, is great. He's the son of the most high. And now this is an indication to Mary, raised in a, in a uh, Jewish culture in the first century, that this is, the son of, this is the Messiah. This is the one who will save the world. That had been prophesied for thousands of years is now going to come to fruition in her. He will be great. He will be son of the most high. He will reign on the throne of David. He will be a king. And his rule, his reign will last, number four, forever. It cannot be undone. No one will be able to stop it. And that, you know, I mean, that's the context of every king they've had to that day. It, the, the, the kingdom has ended at some point. Another king came along and, and began to rule or killed that king or that king's son began to rule. And, and, and at some point, the king's Reign ended, and, and Gabriel's telling Mary, but your son who's about to be born, his reign will never end. And it indicates here to Mary that she is about to be a part of something that she's heard about before. And many people have, have waited and, and prayed for this moment for many years. She's going to have a key role in the history of the world, and that leads her to ask the question in the next verse. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So she asked a question to the angel. She asked, how? How? How is this possible? How can this be happening? 
But notice in her questioning here, she's not questioning the coming of the Son of God. She's not questioning whether or not it's going to happen. She's not questioning God's ability to make it happen. What she's questioning is her role in God's plan. You see, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's saying, I, I'm limited. I, I, I can't. I, I don't. It, it's not possible. She's questioning her role in what God wants to do. She's not doubting that God can do it. She's doubting that she is not able to be a part of it. She's not doubting that God is able. She's doubting that she is able. Now, what that teaches us as well is that we need to be mindful and not doubt what God can accomplish. Again, Mary's not doubting that God can accomplish something. She's doubting that she will be able to fulfill what God wants her to fulfill. Don't doubt what God can accomplish. There's no limit to what God can accomplish simply through your availability. There's no limit to what God can accomplish simply through your availability. Mary's going to make herself available to be used by God, and God will accomplish some phenomenal things. We see that throughout Scripture. Abraham, God said, go over to that place you've never been before, and Abraham made himself available, and he started walking. We see it with Peter being in the boat in the storm, seeing Jesus walk on water. Peter made himself available, got out of the boat, and was able to walk on water. Making yourself available allows God to use your life to accomplish something phenomenal. And Mary, though questioning her role, does not question God's ability. Now for us, there may be inner voices that would say we are not able to do what God wants us to do. There may be external voices that are saying you can't do it because of this thing in your past. You can't do it because of this issue that lies in front of you, because of this obstacle in front of you. You, you cannot do what God has placed in your mind. It's impossible to do it. But God has another thing. We need to tune that mess out and dial in singularly to God's voice. We have to make ourselves available to his plan. Not my plan, not when I'm in the middle of God's plan and God's plan gets hard and God's plan gets difficult and God's plan is a struggle and God's plan, to, from my perception, is a problem and it, and, 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 and it feels like I'm not making any headway in God's plan, but if I take a step out of God's plan, then everything gets screwed up. Even when it's hard, I need to stick to God's plan. You think Mary wanted to stop God's plan when Jesus got arrested? When he got to Jerusalem? As a young 30-year-old something, he gets arrested, he's about to be crucified. You think Mary knew it was coming? Of course she did. Of course she did. The second she found out she was giving birth to the Son of God, don't you know she went back to every one of those Old Testament prophecies to find out exactly what was going to happen. Jesus gets arrested. She knows what's coming. She knows the pain that's coming. She wanted to stop it, but it had to happen in order for salvation to happen. And even when it gets difficult in the midst of God's plan and all these external voices and all these internal voices and all the struggle and the pain and, and, and the lack of progress and the difficulty that's there, we need to stick to the middle of God's plan. We don't know what God's gonna use from our own perseverance. 
I mean, we can see it again. Go back to Abraham, Old Testament. God said, you're going to, told him when he's 75, he's got no kids. You're going to have a kid, and it's going to bring a great nation and the salvation of the world. The Savior of the world is going to come from one of your descendants. And he waited, and he waited, and, and ultimately it ended up taking 25 years. But at year 11, Abraham got frustrated, and he got irritated that it was taking so long, and he went out and pursued Hagar. And ended up with Ishmael. And now the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Abraham's son Isaac are still at war today. Because he couldn't wait just a little bit longer. He got frustrated because it was hard and difficult. And he wasn't seeing progress. He was just seeing it get more and more and more and more difficult. And it ended up into generational strife. And so when you face something that's hard and difficult, if you're in the middle of God's plan, you've got more strength in you because of the Holy Spirit guiding you through God's plan than if you were over here on Easy Street by yourself. It's better to be in the middle of something difficult with God blessing you than over in the middle of, of no difficulty without God. Just ask Jonah. Just ask Jonah, where did he end up when he stepped away from God's plan? Swallowed by a fish. Fish already has a smelly problem, and I've never even been inside one before. Jonah was there for three days, three days, because he walked away from God's plan. And then he gets stuck in the middle of fish vomit, and he ends up going to do what God wants him to do anyway. Stick to what God has for you. Don't abandon God's plan, even when it gets hard. Because as we see, God has a specific plan for your life. You are favored, and you're in the middle of what God has for you. There's no limit to what God can accomplish through your own availability. So Mary asked that question, how can this be? Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. And we get to the knockout punch. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing, no, no thing, not one thing. Nothing will be impossible with God. But, but I know God wants me to give to his church. I know God wants me to tithe, but I know I've got that bill coming on Tuesday, and it's due on Tuesday. Nothing will be impossible with God. I know, but the doctor said this, and I've got to do this in order for this, and then the doctor said this, and I've got to go. Yeah, but nothing is impossible with God. I know, but they're saying this, and I, I know God put this on my heart to do this thing, and I've got to pursue this thing, and God put this on my heart 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 5 years ago, and I've got to keep doing what God wants me to do, but the people are saying this, and it's getting so hard. Yeah, but nothing will be impossible with God. Here he brings the Son of God into the world. And the angel gets this question from Mary, how can this be? But notice the angel doesn't give her specifics at all here. 
All she needs to know is to follow God and continue doing what God has for her, but he doesn't lay it out. He doesn't give her the ABC of what the plan is going to look like. He just said the Holy Spirit's going to do it, and nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. Just trust him, follow him, pursue him. Because impossibility becomes possibility through availability. Impossibility becomes possibility through availability. If we make ourselves available to God, he can make the impossible possible. He can make that addiction may not ever go away. But he may dull the nagging pain of it in the back of our minds. This, the wound and the scar from that thing that happened to us may still be there. But he can heal it. He can, he can bring restoration. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. That person, that family member in your life who is, let's just say, speaking kindly, terrible, and you've been praying for their salvation and them to come to meet Jesus, and they just keep doing their thing over and over and over again, and, and, and you don't see an end to it. You don't see a resolution to it. You don't know. You, you're tired of praying. It's been year after year after year. But the thing is, persevere because nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Don't give up on that person. You're praying for their salvation. Don't give up on what God can do in that person's life. On the contrary, bring them to Christmas Eve. Bring them to hear about Jesus. In, invest in, in deep, uh, uh, deeper prayer in them. Nothing is impossible with God through our own availability. And so Mary hears that phrase, nothing will be impossible with God. And she says this in response, verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, so let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me. She makes herself available. She's willing to do whatever God has for her. She says yes, not knowing the full implications of what that yes uh, will bring into her life. And from Gabriel's perspective, he'd been given a task and a message from God to deliver. Even when he was questioned by the person he's supposed to give the message to, he didn't depart until the message had been fully given. He didn't give up when Mary asked the question. He didn't, he didn't just you know, spit it out and then run away. He, he, he delivered the message, made sure it was understand, and he did not leave until his responsibility had been fulfilled. He wasn't distracted, he wasn't deterred, he persevered, he delivered. He was going to do what God had given him to do no matter what he was confronted with. He trusted God absolutely. Even when he was questioned about the illogical nature of what God's plan was, he still delivered the message. Availability for God stems from the level of trust I have in God. Gabriel trusted God, so he delivered the message. Mary trusted God, so she was willing to do whatever God had for her. The more trust you have in God, the more available you become for his plan. The more trust you have in God, the more available you become for his plan. That's ultimately what it all comes down to. Do I trust God? with my finances? Do I trust God with my kids? Do I trust God 
with my parents? Do I trust God with the situation at work? Do I trust God with that family member? Do I trust him or not? And if I trust him genuinely, absolutely, then I will make myself available in completeness in whatever he asks. Even if I don't, like Mary, understand fully the ramifications of what's going to happen because of my yes, I will trust him. And by trusting him, I will make myself available. Make myself available. Make myself available for his plan. Because God has a plan. God is in control. God's plan is good. God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. Every single time. God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. His plan is good. Even if I can't see the good yet, even if all I see is darkness, his plan is still good. Even if I will never in this life fully know the ramifications of what's happening through his plan, his plan is still good. Whether I see it or not, it's still good because God is good. God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. Gabriel trusted God's plan and made himself available. Mary trusted God's plan and made herself available. Do you trust God's plan? Will you make yourself available today? Whether that means continuing to pursue what he's already placed in you, even when the headway isn't what you thought it would be, when the momentum isn't what you thought it would be, will you continue to pursue? Will you step in faith in whatever God has for you now? Will you trust him? Will you follow him? Will you make yourself available to him? Maybe today you need to make yourself available for the first time. Believe in Jesus, that he is God's son who was sent to this earth to die so all your sins would be forgiven. Then he was risen, he was raised from the dead so that you can live after you die. Maybe today you need to make yourself available to that belief for the very first time. You need to say, yes, absolutely, I'm, I'm there, I'm willing to follow, I'm willing to go. God's asking right now in great specificity, he placed you here to hear this message so that you can believe today. And if you want to believe, we, we want to celebrate with you you don't have to pay a cover charge. You don't have to say magic words. You just have to believe Jesus, God's son, died, sins were forgiven, he was raised, and now you live forever. You believe it and you're saved. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And if you want to talk about believing in that, I will be down here. I would love to talk with you. Mike is right back there. He'd love to talk with you. We would love to get to talk to you about this. Celebrate with you the decision you're making. If, 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 if you need to come and pray about being available to what God has for you, and, and maybe some of you right now, you've been resistant to something God's been planting in you for weeks, months, some of you for years, and God's whispering again, make yourself available. Make yourself available. You have no idea what's going to happen if we would just make ourselves available to him. And you need to come and pray about that and say, God, I am ready. Like Mary said there at the end of that passage, I am willing to make myself available to you here and now.